0: is it gets you there faster, it gets you there cheaper, and it helps you to identify what common elements you need to have on your site. There's three big elements that every interface needs to have inside of a wireframe. There's nav elements, navigation elements, there's content elements, and there's conversion elements. So you need to outline all of those and have them available. You can almost think of these as roads and terrain and other things on your map.
1: Here is your host, Sam Gupta.
2: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Most companies might start selling on the website without going through the structured thinking of enabling user experience and mapping customer journeys. They may also start coding without going through the design process and wireframing the ideas. Wireframing plays a vital communication tool to align the expectations and test if the design is aligned with the user's expectations. But how to start on the journey of wireframing? What do you need to have before starting on this journey? What tools are available to help you with the wireframe? These are the questions you will have if you are thinking of replatforming, your current e-commerce experience or maybe opening an e-commerce channel. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss strategies for creating wireframes. We discussed various topics as they relate to wireframing, including its importance and the role of testing. Finally, we discussed the difference between low versus high fidelity wireframes and the various tools that can be used To help with the wireframing process with that let's get to the conversation hello everyone welcome to today's show and if you are joining for the first time this is one of our e-commerce series for which we meet every day at 5 30 pm eastern we pick one topic related to e-commerce and we always have a very exciting panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom for today we Very exciting topic, and that is going to be super exciting for designers and developers. But we need to understand how to work with designers and developers if we want to be successful with our e-commerce initiative. So we are going to take deep dive into the process of wireframing, why that is going to be important for the e-commerce initiatives. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intro. I am going to start with my intro. And uh, if you guys don't know me, I'm Sam Gupta. I am principal at Elevate IQ. I have roughly 40 years experience leading ERP, e-commerce, digital transformation engagements. So tons and tons of experience around wireframing process. Uh, It's actually a fun part, to be honest. I mean, in my experience, uh, as part of Elevate IQ, uh, we are an independent uh, ERP and digital transformation consulting firm, Uh, you know, our services include uh, business process re-engineering ERP, and e-commerce platform selection. Uh, we do a lot of contract negotiation as well as ERP project recovery. On that note, I am going to move to Eric for his intro.
3: Good evening, Sam, and everybody else. My name is Eric Landman. I'm the e-commerce division manager of Earthling Interactive. Earthling is an agency that builds and maintains e-commerce sites and web apps for quite a variety of different companies. Um, we don't run out of vertical integrator. But we build and maintain them. And uh, this topic I have a lot of experience with. So looking forward to talking about it. It's pretty, pretty cool.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Chris, can I move to you next for your intro?
4: Absolutely. Hi, Sam. Wonderful to be here with everybody. I am Chris Harrington, the president of GenAlpha Technologies. Uh, we are a SaaS software provider of digital commerce for original equipment manufacturers, aftermarket organizations, dealers, distributors. That's kind of the lane that we're in. So certainly, we have had a lot of wireframes in our history as we have developed our solution for our customers, and uh, this should be a really fun topic today. Thank you, Sam.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Paul, can I ask you to introduce yourself next?
5: Sure. I'm Paul Waldarchuk. I'm pinch today for Ken Novak. We're from Hatch Quantified. We consult and uh, provide managed services for B2B manufacturers, OEMs, and distributors to help them grow their e-commerce operations. In particular, we work with organizations that have struggled to get outside of
2: 1-2% of uh, sales online. Okay, I'm so excited to see the pinch hitting today. Thank you so much for being here, Paul. Okay, Dave, can I ask you to introduce yourself next?
0: Absolutely. Dave Meyer, president and founder of BusyWeb, based out of Minneapolis. We are a growth marketing agency that specializes in web design and launching optimized stream flows and workflows for our audience that help you identify and then close deals. So wireframing is a huge part of what we do because everybody needs to be on the same page as we're designing landing pages and conversion pages. Thanks, Sam.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. So before I start with the first question, if you are in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys are going to be sending your questions and comments because we are going to be reviewing them. We are going to be responding to them during the show. If you cannot get to them during the show, our panelists are going to get back to you with the answers. On that note, I am going to start with Eric uh, with the first question, and that is going to be just starting on the journey of wireframes. Um, you know, for a lot of executives, when they think about wireframes, uh, they are thinking, I don't know why I'm doing this. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. so let's say if you were to describe the, why are we doing wireframes and why they are important for any of the digital commerce or the e-commerce journey. Um, Eric, do you want to take that?
3: Sure. More than once I've heard, oh, that looks like a big expense. Why do we have to do that? Uh, and, well, the reason is Developers and designers need to come up with something uh, that will help you build your site. And if you say, well, we can just take that and modify it a little bit, and that's, that's just a path to run, I guarantee you that's not going to work. So the wireframing process allows customers and designers and developers, it's not just for customers by any means, to visualize what the site will look like, what the interactivity will be what pieces of content are where on the page, and how the user flows from page to page and through the system. Uh, So it is really essential because without a tool like this, a lot of ideas are in people's heads. And usually there's some disconnect between different views of how something should happen. Developers think one way, marketing people think a different way, the customer says, "Oh, I saw this other cool site over there." So they just think it's going to work like that. So this is a way to bring everybody into the same workflow and process, and it also allows them to not just look at something, but they, with certain other add-on tools, they can provide feedback on the wireframes, like right there. So it's a very direct way to convey the ideas and the workflow of a site and and collect feedback. And then use that as a working tool to build build out the site. It also acts as a record. So if somebody says, Well, I never saw that. It's like, well, no, actually you did. Here's <laughs> here's that version right there that we talked about this and here's our comments and why we did this and why we couldn't do that. So it's it's really essential. It helps control the production of the site.
2: Okay, could not agree more. I think you touch on some very important points there and obviously the visualization is going to be super important Mm -hmm. and the feedback is something that you mentioned, Uh, you know, feedback is very important as well. But the most important part that you mentioned is the accountability. I guess that is super important, especially if you are committing for the budget. And if you are trying to create something that they didn't want to begin with because they thought it was something else in their head. So obviously that's going to be a problem uh, Mm -hmm. for the overall investment. But obviously you are using a lot of word, you know, keywords there. I don't know if executives are going to be familiar with that. So let's say if you talk about the interactivity, right? So do you wanna expand a little bit more on that? So from the designer or developer perspective, we sort of know you know, what navigation is, but I don't know if executives really understand why that needs to be communicated, why that matters in the process of wireframing. Do you wanna to touch a little bit on that?
3: Sure, um, these tools allow you to create essentially create a wireframe or pieces of a page and you can actually put hotspots on the designs or on the wireframes themselves when you roll over them it'll light up and it'll you so the user can tell oh that's a hotspot that you can click on that and it'll go somewhere so that's how the interactivity is adds now you're not the designer or or the person building the wireframe isn't going to link absolutely everything but if they have a top nav they might click it uh, they might make one of the categories active and then you click on that and then it jumps over to the category page. So they can see and interact with the wireframe, even though it's not a live site, it's really just a mock-up.
2: Thank you so much, Eric, for that. And obviously other people are going to build on that. They are mm-hmm. probably going to have these stories as well. So Paul, I'm actually gonna come to you. So let's say if you are trying to describe the journey of wireframing, why that is essential. So you can either pick a story or simply build on what Eric has already mentioned, why wireframing are really important for any of the e-commerce initiatives.
5: So a lot of the time that I work on e-commerce sites, it's been around findability of product. And yeah. spent a lot of time on terminology. And, and, and what we found is, you know, and this is tangential to wireframing, but you can test terminology in a lot of ways to find out if it's the right terms people use to look for for a product when they're searching through the hierarchy through your catalog. But I found that wireframing and actually doing the testing of the wireframes with the terminology that we're going to use in the wireframe environment is a great way to help find if people are having problems with not only the structure of the site and the usability of the site, but also with the terminology that you use. So very often we'll work with uh, wireframing tools to not only you know test the, the wireframes and the site design, but also to test the hierarchy and how the products are organized so that we make it easier for people to find them. And and we've had major changes in design from doing this early sort of testing. Actually, during working with uh, working with customer groups before doing the site build out or the site, you know, early in the site design as part of the customer research, we'll use wireframing tools to find out how customers want to see um, products organized. And an example I can give is I worked with um, with ComScope, their telecommunications company outside of um, Minneapolis. And they had just gone through a merger where they were bringing together three very, very different product uh, companies that each had their own site and each had their own users. Yeah. And we needed to test how would users see their products inside of the one scope now that was there, right? So, so we had to go and, and test different ways of organizing those divisions, those products. Should they be organized by division or by product type? Should they be organized by industry segment? And we had wireframe tools that we built all those options out in and tested as part of the customer research and it really it got us on the right foot very very early on with uh vetted voice of the
2: customer very interesting story i have never thought that you know any of the integration or the merger scenarios are actually going to be the merging yeah. of the customer experience as well so this is very 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 interesting where you have three different customer personas and then you are trying to merge the customer journeys and uh, the website uh, so obviously, that is very interesting. And one of the things that you mentioned is the testing. And I don't know if people are going to be familiar with, okay, what is testing in the context of framing? Testing could mean a lot of different things. Uh, okay, for our manufacturers, they are thinking, okay, product testing, manufacturing, product testing. For my developers, they are thinking some other testing. Okay, so what kind of testing are we talking about? What is the scope of that?
5: So when you're doing testing, you're you're looking at the the navigation flow that people take. You're you're really literally looking at the path that they take from where you start their journey, which isn't always on the homepage, right? Because if you think of how we navigate to a site, we might do a Google search and then land on a product detail page as part of a product catalog, right? So now, let's say I ended up on the wrong product catalog page, and I want to find the right product from where I am. So I've searched for something, I'm landing on the wrong page. So we'll say, you've landed on this page, you're looking for this thing, you didn't find it, what do you do next? And then we'll trace their path as they click through the wireframes to see what branches they go down. So, so you know, as Eric mentioned earlier, you don't build out every single possible click because you're really looking at fairly static screens that are wired together with hotspots so that you can walk through them, right? Like, in, like a user would navigate. We're not building a real application, we're building a slideshow. So, but in the in the test environment with some of these wireframing framing tools, you can administer the same test to a number of users and follow their pathways through the tools and then compare and chart them out. And what you end up with is a node chart that shows they started here, and then they wandered down there, and, and a thicker branch will show where more people went, and a thinner branch will show where fewer people went. So you can actually visualize how the crowd that you tested this on flows through the, the sample application. And it's really enlightening because you can see most people get it right, but people still make this mistake. And then you can ask yourself, was this a design mistake or was this a terminology mistake in terms of what we call that product category or, or product or how we label the menu or how we a a call to action button?
2: Very, very interesting. Thank you so much, Paul, for that. So, Chris, I'm actually going to come to you next. And it's going to be either you can pick a story or uh, you can simply describe what it means to think about wireframe when we are thinking about these e-commerce initiatives?
4: Yeah, you know, uh, I think the easiest way for me to frame it up is something that I've learned a long time ago is that 65% of the population are visual learners. So if you think about we as individuals like to see it, um, and that's the way we collaborate, that's really what you're doing in a wireframe exercise is that you're taking concepts. Sometimes it can be a scope that somebody has defined. We would like to do this and it needs to do this, this, and this. And all you have are words, but you have no visual representation of what those words might might mean. Wireframing can be as simple as what people do on the back of a napkin, right? So you're sitting around at the bar with your friends and you want to design something and you turn, you pull out a pen and you're on the napkin and you're drawing things, right? So Uh, There are design tools that allow you to elaborate that and then through the collaboration with different team members, as Eric and Paul have mentioned here, you're collaborating with your designers, your developers, potentially the customer, and you're really starting to build the framework of what is going to be the solution, but you're bringing those uh, elements in so that people can see the structure. You might not have all of your spacing correct yet because you, you get into some more final elements as you continue to iterate and build. But the nice thing about a wireframe is as you're doing this, you can do it fast and inexpensively. So it can be where you are thinking about ideas. So you're, you're doing that brainstorming of what, what could be possible. And through your, your designs, these wireframes, you can start to ask yourself, what if? What if the user wants to go here? What would that look like? So what is the next workflow that you have to consider? What if they click here, they click here, they click here? Are you stuck, right? So how do they get back? So we get to ask those what ifs. And kind of work through in a very inexpensive, fast kind of way to start developing something that can be that first iterative process to say, is this worth continuing? Do we want to make the investment? Should we take the next step? So I like to think of the wireframes as we have an idea or we have a scope and now people need to see it and then determine whether they are going to approve it to take that next Process, which is typically going to require maybe uh, a higher fidelity to jump into some of your other language that you, you know, we're probably going to get to, is that there are um, then better iterative tools that you can start to bring in the aesthetics of your uh, site. You know, what will the coloring look like? What are the spatial elements? How does it fit into a page? Usually, In that early wireframing, you don't have all of that established yet. So um, that's how I would think about wireframing as a foundation. And then you just iteratively build from there.
2: Yeah, could not agree more and love the way you describe the hypothesis and the path you can really trace using the wireframe. So that is super important. One thing that I am going to highlight here, especially from my experience, irrespective of whether you are talking about code or a product or wireframe, Okay, you can always do, you know, too much wireframe, a little wireframe, so you can over-engineer anything, right? I love the example that you mentioned about just doing it on, on, on a napkin. It cannot be easier than that. Uh, the whole idea of wireframe is really to reduce the amount of effort and somehow communicate with people. So do you have any sort of best practices that you might be able to highlight in terms of when you are probably doing too much wireframe? when I mean, you could have literally written down a piece of text it's not as complex you don't have to design <laughs> people have forgotten to write the text to be honest at times that's what i feel just because you have these workflow tools available which is great but sometimes it could be too much wireframe have you had similar experiences or, or not
4: well i think it's um <laughs> the best way to describe a best practice i think you know again we're we're framing this up in the sense of e-commerce and e-commerce has some best practices or i would even say some ux laws and design principles that are going to apply so you have to assume that if you're building a page on an existing e-commerce platform that many of the design elements are going to be there and they're going to be in spots that you would anticipate so Don't try to reinvent something that already has an established expectation because we as humans have habits and you have to follow our habits and not uh, make people lost. So uh, in the the wireframe process, you wouldn't want to reinvent the entire design, if if that makes sense. So that would be that would be one thing. But I would I would stress keeping it simple. What problem are we trying to solve? Right. So if you can get to the problem that you're trying to solve and think about the simplest elements to solve that problem, that's what you you want to draw and map. Um, And your your goal is not to get every interaction correct necessarily at the wireframe phase. It's this is our purpose. This is the problem we're solving. These are the workflow that we're thinking. and, And then you stop there. Does everybody agree? Have we hit the elements, you know, uh, before you go much further? That's what I
2: would say, uh, Sam. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So uh, Dave, I am actually going to come to you and you can either pick a story or you can simply talk about how to start on a journey of wireframing. I don't know if you're going to have anything to add on top of what everybody has said. Um, Yeah, yeah. I
0: I actually have a few layers that I want to put down here and to, to back it up again for our intended audience for you know, business owners, manufacturing that are really trying to make the decision, how do I do my website, my online asset as fast as possible? That's what wireframes are a tool for. It's really a blueprint for a website that's matched with a map to a conversion. So you don't build a house without having a blueprint and you don't go anywhere without having a map or in in today's parlance, you have a Google map, right? To get you where you want to go. So that's what this rapid prototyping does is it gets you there faster, it gets you there cheaper, and it helps you to identify what common elements you need to have on your site. There's three big elements that every interface needs to have inside of a wireframe. There's nav elements, navigation elements, there's content elements, and there's conversion elements. So you need to outline all of those and have them available. You can almost think of these as roads, and terrain and other things on your map, right? So as you build that out, there's one more key layer of complexity that good wireframes need to be able to allow for. And that is mobile versus standard width display. Every single thing that you develop in wireframe, you need to develop in wide aspect ratio and built for a little four inch screen. That's called mobile responsiveness. And so every wireframe has to have both options on that. You need to be able to see what a purchase process is for an e-commerce site in manufacturing so that people can buy your widget on a computer and on a phone. And so as you build that out, it's important to have a good tool to help you wireframe that such that it's easy to manage and navigate and that it builds those common elements kind of on the fly together. And there are a lot of good tools out there that can help you do that. Actually, most good CMSs or content management systems are built such that you can kind of rapidly prototype a wireframe out. There's the granddaddy of all wireframes, the the napkin, right? And then there's, you know, putting it together on on a sheet or a page, and then there's getting it into an interactive format. And you have to do all of that as you build your design for whatever elements you're trying to build. But as you get deeper and as you build forward, these are all tools to help you reach agreement as quickly as possible to help you catch any anywhere where you're losing your audience or where things might not work. And, of course, from us as developers and designers, it's our shorthand to make sure that our client is signing off on this, because I I think it was Eric that mentioned this. You know, I want somebody to sign on the dotted line to say, I agree that this is what this is going to do because it gets expensive when it gets committed to code. You want to do it when it's cheap and where you can map it out and say, okay, well, that needs to go over here. That needs to go over there. So make sure that you're also taking care of your mobile responsiveness as well. And I think that that kind of rounds out everything that I wanted to add on right now. But that fantastic conversation. This is fun.
2: Okay, love it. So love the layers, uh, you know, love the comment about Blueprint and the map uh, Mm -hmm. and love the description that you mentioned about the different elements that you have. Uh, the question that I am going to have for you, uh, and obviously my understanding is going to be that you are probably going to be most familiar with upward because that is your favorite tool. Uh, I don't know if you are going to have any insight into the other tools, but when you look at the mobile experience You know, in my mind, that is sort of the technical boilerplate, especially when we are talking about building the e-commerce experience. If we are talking about building on top of the existing platforms and the reason why we want to build on top of existing platforms, that they would have figured out all of these technical elements so that I can focus on my business requirements. So uh, when you are, let's say, doing the development, do you still have to worry about the mobile experience uh, or is that all taken care by the cms or the platform that you might be using Dave. Okay. that's a follow-up question you.
0: it needs to be sketched out both places so you i don't i don't commit um wireframing for for obvious reasons you know you need to pay attention in wireframes to ux user experience as well as ui user interface so how are people going to interact to that and it's your job as a developer it's our job as developers to make sure that that Scans and pans across both sets of information. Right. So and actually there's a third one that I that I didn't even mention because it's not really used that much. But, you know, there's the massive big screen. So YouTube channels, for example, they have the 4K design and layout. Then they have the PC layout. Then they have the mobile layout right? So you need to build out for any, Yeah, you know, it's, it's mostly just view viewports or, you know, how, how wide the, the screen is or what the resolution is of that screen. But there's different rules that apply to different structures. So you can't just rely on the CMS to do that. There's different taps. On a, on a computer, you're probably going to have navigation elements visible and maybe even hoverable As you look at the nav where you hover over it and then other things fly out on a mobile device, that's not possible. So you normally have what many of us in the design world called hamburgers, right, where it's just a little three line thing that you tap it and it pops down and it goes and it's dependent on the tap. And so you have to build that and represent that inside of your wireframe so that people get it. You know, phone numbers need to be much more tappable with your thumb. They need to be highlighted better. Calls to action need to be. Or I need to have specific attention paid to them. We're not even talking about accessibility yet. You need to have enough contrast and you need to have enough space around it so that if someone's tapping on something, they're not tapping on something they don't intend. There's all kinds of stuff that goes into this. And which is why you want to have someone that knows what they're doing, helping you through the wireframing process. Okay, amazing.
2: Thank you so much, Dave, for that. So, Eric, I'm actually going to come to you. And obviously, you are going to have some follow-up comments there uh, overall in terms of when we are looking at this cross compatibility across the devices. Uh, uh, But, you know, obviously, my question to you is going to be, Related to the low fidelity versus high fidelity, you want to sort of keep the iterative process when you are building these wireframes, because as they pointed out that in the beginning, if you keep sort of the low baggage, then it's always going to be cheaper. But as you advance in your process, it's going to be more expensive. And that's why you sort of want to take the iterative approach as you are bringing in more flavors to your wireframe as you are Making it sort of richer, and I also want you to touch on the other, uh, you know, aspect that is going to be, you know, cross-device compatibility. So if I look at yeah. from the business owner perspective, I'm getting these b- big bills from Shopify, Big Commerce, you know, any e-commerce platform, Gen Alpha. My uh, expectation is going to be they are going to worry about the technical part. They would have figured out the mobile experience. And so my question to you is going to be: as an executive, do I still need to worry about? the cross compatibility, or can I simply rely uh, on the platforms?
3: The latter is definitely not true. <laughs> templates that are typically used as base templates don't always take into account all of the different viewport and all the things that you want to see. The view- viewport is the width and aspect ratio of the de- device uh, for those not familiar with that term. So designers generally start with a viewport, or sorry, with a with a base template. And then we drop in elements that we want, or we remove elements that aren't to be seen. So when we start, we, we usually start with a desktop template because a lot of our sites are business or consumer and they're, they're going to be on a desktop or a tablet. And we may wireframe those. But then when we get to the mobile experience, we actually might switch to a more high fidelity or high res design tool, something like InVision or Sketch or Figma. Where we actually drop in the graphics, and the reason for that is most users just can't visualize what this little tiny little square is up in a corner of a of a screen. You know, they want to see the hamburger menu. They want to see how big their logo is. You can't just draw a little box with their logo because if their logos are the wrong shape, it's going to look horrible. But you can't really represent that in a small mobile wireframe. So we will switch at that point to using these high res, really kind of combination wireframe but also design tools um, that same design uh, collaboration tool like figmar or sketch or envision one of those it also informs the designer uh, they can pull style or sorry it informs the developer they can pull style sheet information right off of that so it's kind of a multi-purpose tool it's not it's not just to display it but it, it actually helps Speed up the design process. So relative to your question about whether this is important, yeah, for sure, because the developer can pull that, this actual styling right off of the design tool directly. Um, We've had situations where, here's an example, we designed a very large input form for a customer that hauls food grade commodities. The thing is massive. It's like three feet tall. And I was showing this to the customer and saying, you know, this is really huge. Are you sure your administrators can use this? They're saying, oh, yeah, we've got to see all that information. We've got to see the commodity and the load and the pickup date and the pickup window and the delivery date and the bill to and the ship to. It's like, oh, there's like and there's more. The whole all of the stops. And so we're going, okay. so we build it. And they still didn't visualize it. They said they started using it going, wow, we've got to scroll all over the place. Well, Yeah. (laughs) So we had to do another wireframe with clickable accordions to open and close various panels. So even though we were in development, still, we we still had to extend the design wireframing concept another step. Because to Chris's point, people just can't always visualize these things. So So I covered a lot of stuff there. But I think the most important thing there is when we start dealing with mobile devices, especially phones and tablets, We do need to switch to a more visual tool with actual graphics, product pictures, navigation, mockups, literally things you can click on and see what happens when the accordion expands. It's not quite development, but it's it's getting close to it.
2: Okay, so very interesting commentary there, and I am going to have one follow-up question for you. So let's say if I am thinking more from the executives' perspective, they sort of understand that mobile is probably going to be different experience. But I'm not sure if they really understand why uh, the mobile needs to be visual, and the website is probably going to be okay on a napkin. Uh, that seems like yeah. a stepchild, to be honest. Uh, so do you want to describe a little bit more? Sure. Uh, well, why the mobile is yeah.
3: People get into trouble with things like search boxes, quick search boxes. What do you do with a quick search box on a tiny little phone? It's not the same experience at all. So on a on a typical desktop website. We have integrations with search engines like Elasticsearch, which returns a ton of data. It'll have a product name, a price sometimes, a, a, a product picture, might have a couple categories. It might be multi-tabbed so that if there's documentation, it returns a separate tab with the documentation. Well, what do you do with that on this phone, which has a screen of two and a half inches wide? You know, that's like, you, there's no way you can accommodate that. So you've got, you've got to mark it up, otherwise, you you know, it'll be a completely unusable feature. Um, The other thing we get into trouble with is navigation. Always there's problems with navigation because people have categories that are, you know, 35, 40 characters wide. Well, what do you do with that on a tiny little screen? You either wrap it around or you make it clickable or something, you abbreviate it. Usually that's not a good solution, but uh, you've got to do something with it. And customers don't, they can't visualize it. So this is a way to say, Here's what's gonna happen. Is this okay? Probably not. So then you have an opportunity to talk about how to solve this particular problem.
2: Okay, very interesting commentary. So I am actually going to move to Paul and Paul. Uh, you know obviously Eric mentioned a lot about the markups. You mentioned a lot of uh, you know about the markups uh, and I don't know if the people who are listening are really going to be sure about what a markup is as far as the wireframe goes. So, do you want to build on top of that? You know what a markup really is, and then talk about you know the importance of low fidelity, high fidelity uh, wireframes. Yeah.
5: So, so the term the term we use is mockup uh, as as a you know a mockup is a, a an approximation of a design, right? So, when we're talking low fidelity uh, wireframes, uh, a designer or user experience person will we commonly use the term mockup to talk about. Those are sometimes we just call them mocks, right? So, so that's just some jargon you might hear when you're working around people that use wireframes. Low fidelity. There's actually a tool that's called Chalkmark because it, it it's the design looks like chalk on a blackboard, right? And and so to so really think low fidelity is like the fidelity you have on a on a bar napkin or a placemat or a whiteboard or a piece of scrap paper. It's boxes and arrows and rough regions. And usually you're using that at that point to rough out how you want the, the content to be organized in the, in the particular uh, experience, whether it's a mobile experience or whether it's a, a laptop or, or desktop or, or, or tablet experience. And so getting that sort of, how do, we, where do we want the content? What's the proportionality of different pieces of content to each other? If I'm designing a product page on a, on a catalog for e-commerce, um, what's the most important information that I want to represent and if I n- need to knock out some information for the mobile experience that's less important to my mobile users then I'll use I'll first use a mock-up to validate that concept of you know a low fidelity wireframe to, to validate that with with customers as part of my customer search as you're moving further down the design process it's really important to get to what we would call high fidelity uh, wireframe. Which you probably couldn't tell without looking at it really closely. The highest fidelity would be it looks just like the application. And at that point, we're talking about something that's pretty well thought out. The fonts are thought out. Um, any of the spatial elements are thought out. The navigation is thought out as well as the terminology that you're using. And I really want to bring up the fact that Eric, shout out to Eric for bringing up that when you move from, um, you know, a wide format, uh, presentation user experience to a narrow format for mobile, your ch- your choices of terminology will probably change. And uh, you know having worked as a you know taxonomist which is a20 dollar word for somebody who spends a lot of time thinking about the words you choose for your products and your navigation right in your product categories, we actually spend time testing those terms right to understand what terms people use when they're searching for things. We use search logs and so on. So we'll identify alternative short terms that will, uh, that people will recognize in a smaller format. And then, and then we'll represent those terms in a high fidelity rendition of the, of the mobile experience to make sure that people can find what they're looking for. And we'll actually go so far as to take those and put them into navigation testing tools. So a navigation testing tool, like I was describing before, well, you start somebody off in a particular place in the interface. You give them a problem to solve, like find this, and then they have to click on things. And we're not just testing the design at that point. We're testing the words that we chose, especially the shorter terms that we chose to display on the
2: uh, mobile interface. Okay, very interesting. So I'm going to just reiterate what I heard. And obviously, I was thinking that there is another term called markup. I think people are going to be familiar with mockup. You are trying to mock something up. uh, And you know I think Dave used the term, blueprint and i was not sure if markup is also a term that is typically used in the quality settings in the manufacturing where they are literally trying to mark the points the hard spots up i don't know if that is typically used Uh, in the wireframing process as well Uh, is markup also a term or just are we talking about just markup not to mine
5: i haven't come across that term in my experience but that's not to say other people don't use that term Is, is it possible that it's used for providing comments on the design because that's another uh, case where you know annotating or, or marking up comments on the design when you're putting it out for uh, for feedback is a very important part of the process. And um, so yeah, in, in terms of that's a feature set that's entirely different from the testing that I was talking about. But that's where you're putting a design out there, you're letting people navigate it, and you're letting them add comments, right? Or or, or even draw on it, right? So think about the. Experience of I draw something on whiteboard. Sam, you come up and draw something else on the whiteboard. Chris will come up and add her commentary, and so on. And some of these tools have collaborative environments that let people work together to, you know, to create a design. So it's not just one person sitting down and drawing the design. It could be a team working to collaborate
2: as well. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Paul, for that. So, Chris, I'm actually going to come to you, and I know that you had a lot to say uh, when you were thinking about the the high versus low in the last segment. I'm pretty sure you probably are going to build on that. So let's talk about low versus high wireframes and why they are important. How much, uh, how low do you want to go in low wireframe? How high you want to go in the high fidelity wireframe?
4: Yeah. And I think um, in my last segment, I got to talk about the low. Yeah. And you asked me some of the best practices for low. So I, I would say that really the next iteration is that higher fidelity. That means that, the team is now invested in moving forward with what has been designed in the low fidelity uh, wireframe, and you say yes, let's keep going. Let's let's add let, let's add logos. Let's add uh, you know the skin, the the colors that would match the logos or whatever branding guidelines you might have. Let's start bringing in the other elements that Eric and Paul talked about with respect to whatever it is that you might be designing. The way I like to think about high fidelity is it's almost what your solution is going to look like, but it doesn't, it's not connected to the backend. So in our complete, you know, when we release to production, we're fully integrated, uh, the user interface and the backend are talking to each other that high fidelity is taking you through the click path of the problem that you're trying to solve. So it might not be your entire feature set of everything in your product. It's what is being enhanced or what is the new custom development that you might be adding in the case again of e-commerce where we do this a lot in our business is when, you know, we already have a SaaS platform, which there are a lot of them out there so whoever you might be using they have a fundamental design but now there is a new requirement you've defined that requirement you've wireframed it everybody agrees that's the right path that you're on now you start you know building upon that before you head before you give it to the development team to start integrating it to the back end so this is where you bring in again all of the visual elements and it it interacts with the other elements that already exist in your solution and visually you see everything. We typically, so you know, stories for us when when a customer comes to us for an enhancement or a customization, we will build out the high fidelity wireframe and show it to them. Again, going back to Eric's earlier comment, it becomes the record the accountability of what gets accepted before we move to design so we we've taken the requirements we've identified the problem that we're going to solve how we're going to solve it in the solution now we're looking at it visually we can walk through with the clicks so there are clicks that are engaged we can see what the next steps are so we're truly solving that problem and then everybody agrees or disagrees so uh, some tools that we use at Gen Alpha, we do use Envision. Um, that's what we present to our customers when we're getting final sign-off. Our product owner uses Sketch. She really likes Sketch. She uses a Mac, so that's a Mac solution. But Sketch easily uh, moves into Envision, so and Envision is great because it it integrates to Slack, uh, Java. Um, uh, there's another tool that we use, but either way, it, it allows all of us to collaborate and uh, to some earlier points that were discussed, you know, it has uh, sticky notes in there. So you can comment um, and, and add notes from different team members in the process of getting to a, a completion of that acceptance of, yes, this is what we want. Customer says yes. And then we go back and we develop. And that's how we can estimate the effort that it's going to take to develop. So it really is a step in the process. And usually you're more committed. There's some budget that's already been identified and that's how you're you're moving into this next
2: phase. Okay, very interesting. So I am going to have a fun uh, follow-up question for you. So as we all know that ERP is sort of granddaddy of the system, and that is probably going to be the highest fidelity wireframe ever existed because it's going to have too many options that you are probably not going to be using in this life. So obviously in the ERP world, they probably don't have wireframes. They never have to use that, right? Now, when we talk about tools like Gen Alpha, right? So the reason, my understanding, again, you can correct me if I'm off here. uh, The customers, the reason why they would buy Gen Alpha is because they have to do far more development on top of Shopify, Magento, that's going to be far more risk. Uh, You know, it's going to require far more dollars in general. uh, And you are buying something tried and tested, built for your industry purpose built. So you don't have to go through the the painful process uh, of putting these three notes and we don't know whether that is going to work or not, right? Uh, so now when we are looking at tools such as Gen Alpha, do we still have to go through the wireframing process? When I'm getting a tool that is purpose-built for my industry, I already know what works. Why am I going through the wireframing process in your case?
4: Yeah, in that case, typically the customer is not going through the wireframing. That that would be an, you know, when we so any uh, good development company, they're going to have a roadmap of enhancements that they're going to continue releasing to their product. So they're going to have a backlog of things that they want to work on through research, feedback from customers, um, you know, new internal design initiatives. So the wireframing is typically done by that company. Now, where we have done it in conjunction with customers is when they have a new idea of something that doesn't currently exist in our solution, so it would need to be built. And in that case, that's where we have to say, okay, let's visually look at it, and that's where the wireframe comes into place. And, you know, because we do work with large – we, Alpha work with large manufacturing companies, They all do have some unique requirements, and it's not uncommon that they would have a customization or a new need um, that we might want to build out for them uh, to ensure that their customers get the experience that their customers would be looking for from them. And certainly that would be the case where we would involve them in this process. So we would make sure that we're meeting the needs. Uh, that they have, that their customers have, and we agree upon the solution before we go and do the the development.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So Dave, I'm actually going to come to you. Um, So do you want to talk about, uh, you know, the low versus high fidelity wireframe? You know, how low do you want to go in your low fidelity versus how high uh, you want to go in high fidelity wireframe?
0: I think it kind of depends on the fidelity that you that you build out is yeah you know, at what level you are in your ideation process, right? So as you're trying to coalesce ideas and thoughts, then the low fidelity makes sense because you're swapping things and things are about to are likely to change more often. And so it's a lot cheaper to do it in a low fidelity black and white blocks to just say, okay, well the content's gonna be here. And then it's going to move here. Or we need to have our flow where they click here. And then this page looks like this. And then the conversion is right here. And are we in agreement? So low fidelity is helpful for storyboarding and bringing people through the entire purchase process. And then once you get closer to the intricacies of individual elements, then upping the fidelity makes more sense. So. And especially, you know, and and I I forget if it was Paul or Eric that that brought this up, but having the, the higher fidelity stuff in mobile helps because having the taps and being able to see what happens on those things can be very helpful because it's not exactly clear, especially if you're looking at a static screen that has a bunch of gray boxes, what's going to happen. And again, your job is to share the story as much as you're sharing the connection, because we're visual, but we're also movement-oriented. So how do you do that inside of there? Um, The one layer I'll put on top of all of this is with some CMS, and Sam, I think this might be what what you're teasing after, but with some CMSs, it makes it possible to approximate the wireframing process by creating hot-swappable modules. So You can build an interface and kind of do like a bare bones um, proof of concept on a website or on a purchase process or whatever and have that be interactive so that people can click and see what happens. And you can swap that out and say, okay, well, that that doesn't work or that's confusing because especially, again, as you go back and forth between different contexts, different page widths and views, the rules change. And to that end, I think the the other thing that you know, just, I, all I get to do is at the at the end of the conversation, I get to go in and cherry pick things that I think might have been missed. So um, the the thing that might be missing for us here is you know the the context switching that might happen depending on different viewpoints. So if I'm on a phone, where am I likely to be? You know, if I'm if I'm on a PC, I'm probably at my desk, and I also have More screen real estate to have two windows open and I can research side by side and I can click and move around. If I'm on a phone, I might be ordering a replacement part for something that I'm on the line and staring at. And so that's a completely different interaction that I need to have and I need to provide different kinds of information there maybe even doing a search function where i just point my dang phone at something and i click on it and google image search pops up and says okay well you're looking for part number 80932 or whatever right so it's different context by different device by different viewport and to be able to build all of that out that's why you do wireframing if we tried to develop a fully formed beautiful um interface at max fidelity for every one of these possible million interactions, I would be connecting with you from a yacht somewhere, Sam, if I could get somebody to pay me to do all of that, right? It'd be really expensive. But our job is to get there as fast as possible and then only commit to code once we're ready to build it and we have agreement on what we're building.
2: Okay. Amazing insights there. So we are going to do a very quick round to make sure that we are covering the tools because our listeners uh, will benefit probably knowing some of the tools. Uh, so I know we have already mentioned a lot of them. Uh, what I am looking for is some sort of you know, pros and cons. Uh, what do you like about any specific tools? I'm pretty sure everybody's going to have their own favorites. Uh, Eric, do you want to start in terms of what do you like, how many have you used, how many have you seen other people uh, use them, you know, and what do they love?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, we didn't mention flowcharting, but that's part of it, too. We, we use Lucidchart and Stormboard for flowcharting and idea collection. For online design and collaboration and wireframes, we use Figma or Sketch or Envision. and for Commenting, we frequently, if, if the tool we're using doesn't have commenting, we use page proofer, which is a little, little thing that you can leave comments and tag little parts of the page. Um, all of those have different price points. Some are, some are free or for very low usage. Others are really hugely full featured, really almost design tools. Um, like Envision, Envision is kind of the Cadillac of the whole group there. Uh, we use all of those, and uh, designers love it. Developers love that too, because it gives them all the, the CSS styling that they need for various elements. Um, so that, that's what we use. Uh, for just pure wireframes that do nothing but wireframes, we use balsamic or Mockflow. So there's there's a quite a bit of bit of different tools there. We've got a lot of things we do, <laughs> and napkins. <laughs>
2: yeah they are the best thank you so much eric for that okay paul sure. i'm actually going to come to you i don't know if you have any specific uh tools that you like uh w- what are your uh thoughts in terms of the tools
5: we've used uh envision a lot for uh detailed mocks um and um and also uh you mentioned uh mock flow and um chalk mark um i think are are some tools that we've used and then for um For tree testing, which is which we do often at the same time that we're doing wireframing, we're testing the navigation terms and the hierarchies as well for product categories um, and for the terms that we use on site navigation. Um, And we find it's particularly useful uh, to test those not just for visual navigation, but we're we're also sourcing them from search terms that that we get from search log analysis. But we use Optimal Workshop tools, um, tools from Optimal Workshop. For doing tree testing and for doing um, mock testing where we've got the uh, terminology inside of the wire.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Paul, for that. So, Chris, I know you have mentioned a lot of different tools. Do you want to build on uh, top of whatever you have spoken and others have spoken?
4: Sure. I think it is important to mention that it's very personal to the designers um, they get comfortable with what they're doing. We had uh, an intern last year that we brought on for a project. She was very comfortable with Figma. We just let her use Figma rather than tried. So I'm assuming uh, the school she came out of, that was the tool that they were used and trained in. So Figma would be one that uh, is really relevant. We use Envision. I mentioned uh, Sketch, uh, you know, and it's Uh, ability to move from Sketch into Envision and then be the collaborative tool. I guess just uh, adding a tool that we use once we when we're thinking about making a change to a design and we want to look at how people have been using our tool and the behavior, we will use LogRocket to review how uh, customers have been Engaging with the platform, in our, so in our design analysis, we might uh, glean something from that that we can put into that future design. So, LogRocket is just a new
2: addition that I would add. Okay, amazing! Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Dave, do you have anything to add there in terms of tools, any favorites?
0: Yeah, we also use Sketch and InVision. Uh, the one that I, that I don't think anybody mentioned yet was Adobe XD, because uh, we're we're pretty deep in the Adobe in, in the Adobe world. Um, Mockups, M-O-Q-U-P-S, is also handy and and kind of a a low-fidelity and easy one. Uh, And then I I mentioned using CMS. Um, The CMSs that we probably tap into the most for rapid prototyping would be either WordPress or HubSpot. To drop and drag or drag and drop modules in and show proof of concept in real time.
2: Okay, amazing! Thank you so much, Dave, for that. So the only thing right now we can take is uh, closing advice. We have roughly two minutes right now in the clock, uh, so it's going to be 30 seconds per person. Uh, so Eric, I'm actually going to start with you for your closing advice.
3: Well, we didn't say it explicitly, but I would say that every minute and hour you spend doing mockups and um, using wireframing tools and and then progressing into high-fidelity res tools is is well spent because you will save it on the development process. So that's the message for the execs.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Eric, for that. So, Paul, what would be your quick closing advice?
5: Something we didn't talk about is uh, adding to your wireframes what the data source is behind uh, something. So if you really think about the idea that You know, you've got a headless environment that's drawing data from multiple backend systems. Think about a distributor that's showing price and availability. Think about punch out things that we haven't talked about yet. Linking the data source uh, to some level of the wireframing to communicate from the user experience designer to the, to the integrators, what needs to happen on the backend. And, and that helps communicate the response, uh, response time requirements that you need to have too. If you need sub-second response time on a screen that's hitting four data sources, You've got to have
2: some real good performance on the back end. So think All right. about Love, it. Love it. Thank you so much, Paul. Uh, Chris, what would be your quick closing advice?
4: Make sure you involve a designer in the process here. Again, there are laws and rules that already exist, and these people are going to save you a lot of time in this wire framing process. So it's okay to start with your napkin, but bring a designer into the, the true development because they're going to cut through some, some things and, and ask the right questions.
2: Love it. Thank you so much, Chris. Dave, uh, closing up life, please.
0: Use a pro and connect and follow their advice, but also don't forget to test with your end audience. Don't just look at your exec team and say, oh, yeah, well, Bob says that we can do all this stuff or, you know, Sam Gupta says that it's, it's a thing to do. Uh, you actually have to have your end user try this as well to make sure that it's being useful and usable for your audience.
2: All right. Amazing. Thank you so much, guys. That's it uh, for today. If you joined uh, for the first time, this was part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to e-commerce. So make sure you are going to be here next week. We are going to be here with another panel and uh, another topic. So I'll see you next week. On that note, I just want to thank everybody for their time and insights today. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. I cannot thank
2: our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Eric Landman, head over to earthlinginteractive.com. It's E-A-R-T-H-L-I-N-G-I-N-T-E-R-A-C-T-I-V-E.com. If you want to learn more about Paul Wooders, Zek, uh, head over to hquantify.com. It's H A T C H Q U A N T I F I E D dot com. If you want to learn more about Dave Meyer, head over to busyweb.com. It's B-I-Z-Z-Y-W-E-B dot com. If you want to learn more about Chris Harrington, head over to janalpha.com. It's G-E-N-C-A-M. ALPHA.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Jeff White, who discusses why it is so important to identify the ideal customer profile for your offerings to streamline your growth. Also, the interview with Ross Davis, who shares his insights on the steps for objection hunting and how that can help. We're discovering user experience issues on our website also don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds if you have any questions or comments about the show please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels i'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help thank you and i hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS thank you for
1: listening to another episode of the wbs podcast